Oh, hey there, listener. It's your old pal Drew P. Worrell here. Going to talk to you a little bit about one of the greatest comedic actors of all time. Oh, that's right. We're going to talk about Jim Varney tonight, and we're going to talk about one of his greatest movies. You know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this Halloween favorite, Ernest Scared Stupid. Know what I mean? Miles, how are you, buddy? I am doing great. I am definitely in the Halloween spirit. And I don't I don't know if I can think of a better movie to kind of end this this theme on than what we're doing tonight, because as we said last week, you and I both grew up with Mr. Ernest P. Worrell. How long has it been since you've seen this movie? Years, so many years, in fact, that I remembered two things about the movie and we'll we'll get into what i actually remembered once we talk about the movie itself because i know we're going to do a little bit of history of not just this movie but the Ernest character as a whole but this was interesting for sure it, it is definitely an interesting movie and and i'm glad i saved it for last because this one it, it i would say of the stuff we watched it probably has some of the more scary material in it in terms of the visuals uh for and sure i i think this movie and we're going to talk about this obviously but this movie lives and dies by jim varney as ernest p Worrell. and we talked about this a little bit last week and especially off air about having grown up with ernest on tv and so before we get into the the kind of the intro history stuff that we usually do like I distinctly remember growing up in the the eighties and the early nineties with Jim Varney being on commercials everywhere. And and I, Ernest, I don't even remember specifically what commercials he was on. I just and know. I used to remember Ernest. Yeah, and and this is the thing because I know. Well, well, we'll get into some of this. I know that he was throughout the southeast. I don't know how much outside of that he was. It must have been a lot because he was in movies based on these commercials. Well, and he had, I mean, he had a couple national commercials. And so I, I would imagine his stuff favored the Southeast. But I mean, and I didn't put this in the the actual, you know, the notes that we did. But he did do like, there was a taco, um, Taco John's which is a distinctly Western and Midwest franchise. I've only heard of it in reference. I've never, I don't even know what the uh, logo I, looks I've like. I've only ever heard of it when doing this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he also did uh, some Coke commercials and Chex commercials. So he had a couple nationals. And, and I mean, none of his movies were, they were successful. They weren't like box office smashes. They, I mean, you weren't getting $200 million from an Ernest movie. But I think the... I think the the draw for Ernest was that he had a certain physical comedy that kids really latched on to. He had that um I one he had that very fast way of talking, but something that I think keyed into the the later popularity of people like Jim Carrey, he had what's known as a rubber face. Yeah, for sure. He could do these insane expressions that to a child delivers the comedy no matter what's happening. 
And I think that's that's so important. And with Ernest, you had that. He was he was a living, breathing cartoon character. And I can speak for myself at least. That was so that was what was so attractive about him, whether it was a commercial or his short-lived TV show or the movies that he did. Like Ernest became such a part of my childhood, but something that you and I talked about, and probably one of the reasons for many years I didn't watch Ernest stuff was uh as as a growing, I would say uh self-aware uh millennial growing up in the South, I actively tried to distance myself from southern things or things that were perceived as being kind of redneck yeah it you as you are growing up in the south and miles and i have both experienced this and we had a long conversation after deciding to do this off air just about our kind of collective southern experience in that you know i probably sound like i have an accent to people outside of the south but to people inside the south i typically don't hear that i have an accent very much and in fact growing up i was growing up i was told often that i did not have an accent or like you don't have an accent where are you from it's like i'm from here uh but as you get there and and you start to see these things like i'm not a country music fan slash i don't really like country music at all except for a few specific things but the the redneck side of things which is oftentimes especially in comedy there's redneck comedy and that's what it is like it eventually like the uh the 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 jeff foxworthy comedy team that went through what was that called the uh with the blue collar comedy tour blue collar comedy tour like that started happening as we were off into high school and going into college so before that and even then that kind of skews more into a little like jeff foxworthy's whole deal is you might be a redneck that was the whole thing yeah and that was massive in the 90s but if you don't if you don't identify as a redneck which is kind of a whole thing you there was a little kind of guilt about getting into some of this stuff well there was that and there was the the perception that at least growing up that I felt people had about people from the South that I tried to actively combat. The audience cannot see me pointing at my camera to agree with miles. And that the idea that everybody in the South is stupid is specifically one because it's propagated by redneck comedy. And, uh, and I, it's depictions of people from the South. And I mean, obviously, and we don't talk about politics much, much, but, uh, the public perception of Southern politics don't help us either. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but yeah, you, you grow up, especially as someone who is trying to figure themselves out in a world that is becoming more and more connected. And as as a nerd in the South, being part of that and being exposed to a lots of different culture and lots of different ideas, it was something that I felt I, I'm embarrassed to say it now, but kind of ashamed of. And it wasn't until later in my life that I kind of grew to accept, you know, parts of my southern roots and you know certain things that I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You know, that's not stupid. You got to. I mean, yeah, sometimes you have some- to to get over yourself to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. And yes, there are obviously some terrible things that come with being a Southerner, especially if you have a family that's been here for hundreds of years. There are things that you have to accept. And as a millennial teenager, I just, 
I wasn't ready for that. And I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. So I, uh, I rebelled against any, any aspect of Southerness. And, and so in that certain things that I did like as a kid, like Ernest, I, I actively kind of avoided as I would say ages like 13 to 24 ish. And, and yet there's a snapback to this in that, Miles brought up doing this this movie a la- a last week, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a second, yeah. And I went on YouTube and I started watching Ernest commercials, and I'm suddenly Gosh. suddenly I'm 45 minutes into a bunch of just co- uh, compilations of Ernest P. Worrell commercials, and I'm laughing hysterically, and it's yeah. just fantastic. And it's like, why why? Why was I keeping this for myself? Now, part of that is because of 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 the performer no longer performing for reasons that we will get into uh, in just a second here. But just it was such a huge part of the culture at large, not just in the South. And that's what we got to get into. So ultimately, we can't talk about the earnest character without mentioning the actor himself, Jim Varney. Uh, so Jim Varney was born on June 15th, 1949. Uh, hey, Miles, isn't that your birthday? <laughs> well, it not is, the 1949 I, part. Just, I don't know how I didn't know this before this week. <laughs> and I I feel like I know that there are certain like celebrities and stuff that I share a birthday with. But like this one, I was like super excited yeah, about dope. like, oh, I, yes, Ernest. <laughs> so from a young age, Varney displayed this uncanny ability to memorize long portions of books and poems and and also showed a propensity to imitate characters from cartoons and other things he'd seen on television. And these strengths saw him pursue acting in his youth and get involved in the theater. And before the character of Ernest existed, Varney garnered a lot of success acting professionally on television, as well as doing stand-up comedy and character-focused comedy. We don't see a lot of character-focused comedy anymore. You have a couple people who are known for, like, you know, using puppets or something, but character comedy is is not something I, I think I've seen in a, a good long while. I'd argue a lot of that stuff has gone to YouTube. And that's a good point. It, like stand up comedy as a whole is different and and comedy and, and performed in public gets goes through phases and stand up comedy has become its own specific thing. But like character comedy has turned a lot into sketch on. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. So Varney, along with the Cardin Cherry Advertising Agency, ended up creating this character, Ernest P. World. And I found out the, the P actually stands for power tool, which I never knew. <laughs> I don't think I knew that either. <laughs> and I, I, I saw that, I was like, wait. And apparently it's one of, the, one of those like in-canon things that from a random like quip in one of his, his shows or movies. The, the character's first ad was promoting an appearance by the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders at a amusement park in Kentucky in 1980, which I mean, I understand that for a while, like, even though I, th- I feel like every football team has had cheerleaders. I don't know why Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders was always like the the cheerleader team. Well, they were the Dallas Cowboys specifically were, quote, America's team for a number right, of I years that. But That's like, like, if like you my, ever my hear gr- people talk about my grandmother professionally. 
And my grandmother was a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. She was from North Carolina, lived there her entire life. <laughs> I don't know why the Carolina Panthers didn't exist at that point. Right. Like, it like, didn't happen until the 90s. But uh, but she was a, they don't exist as much as season two. No. Uh, that's a reference <laughs> no, that it's, won't it's, date itself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just weird because like culturally when you especially in the 80s late 80s early 90s when people talk about cheerleaders they often say like a dallas cowboys cheerleader and it's just it's i don't know enough about the cowboys cheerleaders or the their their program to i don't know if they did something different or if it was just because they were america's team we're not gonna do a dallas cowboys cheerleader theme don't worry gang we're not gonna (laughs) no we are we are not gonna do that but it's curiosity. Um, but anyway, this, this working class yokel they created took off almost immediately. And they started franchising the character to be used in local markets all across the country. So from your local news to your Toyota dealership, they, you could get a, a earnest commercial, mostly filmed in one location. And Farney's photographic memory was, is said to be such that he read all the scripts in the morning. And proceeded to do 25 or more different commercials in a single day without ever needing to refer to a script again, which is intense. So, I I grew up having somewhat of a photographic memory. I don't really anymore, but I, I did as a kid. And even on my best day, I couldn't do close to that. Well, what's funny is you can see uh, Ernest outtakes. There are compilations mm-hmm. of earnest outtakes. And it's clear it's not that he doesn't remember what he needs to say. It's just getting it out. He's improving. He improvs so much. And uh, uh, he's kind of like Robin Williams in that capacity and that his, he's very, very quick with what he's doing. And sometimes he's a little too quick and it gets in the way of the point he's actually trying to get across. And, and speaking of, and Drew and I were talking about this because we both went down YouTube rabbit holes. We both watched this video of... Th- Robin Williams and Jim Varney hanging out and Jim Varney was in his earnest outfit. I don't know what they were promoting. I don't know what they were. They were at some sort of set. It looks like a background of something. It's 1989. I have no idea what for. And they are just riffing off each other. And both those guys, they, I don't know if they were good friends. I don't even know if they were actual friends. Or they just they, met. I don't know if they had met before, any time before just what they were doing right there. I've seen pictures of them at different times together. So they are at least friendly. But those two people, you could tell, had a certain comedic kinship because they were just going off each other. And honestly, if I hadn't known that that was the first time they had been had, had a, like footage done together, I would have thought they were lifelong friends. It's it, it's a certain thing that certain comics have. They know and they know the points to pick up on what, yes. what the, they know how to build on what the other person is doing it's like if, if you've ever heard a, a, an actor say that they're that the that the, someone they're performing with is a very giving actor it's that they're giving as much as they're like they're giving more information more stuff more uh flavor to things and building off of something else that you're doing it's 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 textbook what they were doing I, right there mostly just made me very sad i never got a robin williams Ernest movie because I I just don't think Robin Williams could have been, well, he did Aladdin. So I was going to say, I don't know if he could have been PG for that long, but (laughs) (laughs) and Aladdin three. So, yeah, well, so let's get back to Ernest, the character, because again, this character hasn't been around uh, 
for 20 years at this point as we were talking yeah. about this, which is one. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> but and two, making me want to have an existential crisis right now. A little bit, a little bit of that <laughs> little tiny existential existential crisis. So uh, typically the earnest character would be speaking directly to the camera. Uh, and and as and as if that's something that is also true in this movie, regardless of the fact that there are other characters in this movie that Ernest uh, interacts with, a lot of Ernest stuff is to the camera and the camera was to be the, the stand in for Ernest's neighbor, Vern, who never speaks. Uh, and Ernest enthusiastically prattles on about whatever he's talking about, whether it's a product of some sort or what some slapstick comedy or or he, he's a bit of a know it all. So he's trying to tell Vern about this this thing that's going on or that thing or you know how you can do this. Well, Vern, let me tell you about this. Da, 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 da. And always ending with this catchphrase. You know what I mean, Vern? Ernest became especially popular with children, and while many national chains wanted to capitalize on the character, the the agency sometimes had conflicts because of the the exclusive rights that local companies received uh, when they had requested Ernest commercials. Uh, as a way to change that, Varney and his agency began to look at developing feature films starring the character so they could not target. That's a poor word. So they could they could capitalize on on the product placement and stuff like that Well, I just to make something for for people that really wanted that content that wasn't a credit union or a local action news station or elvira mistress of the night um well one i love the fact that he was like advertising for elvira that made me so happy <laughs> but but that's the thing he wasn't advertising for elvira he was advertising for elvira's uh thing or whatever on this one local radio or one local tv station but elvira's where it's at burn (laughs) that was i i i I, tickled me to death also since elvira is hosting the hocus pocus reunion this year uh where all the actors are going to be in costume doing a hocus pocus reunion elvira's hosting it so that's Fungal tie-in. Yeah, so um, it's it's again. Miles and I went down a rabbit hole watching and oh sharing God. videos with each other, and uh, <laughs> it's it no, it's it's great. I mean, and and the, the, I think the thing is, half the time you don't even know what you're being sold because you know he'll start talking about it, but then he'll just do something very earnest like, and that's that's the point of the commercial is yes, he might be selling you a Toyota or, you know, action Two news, but it's earnest antics that take over the commercial. And that's, that's something I feel like we don't get as much anymore. You get a lot of gotcha commercials or a lot of like, Oh, they did this very funny thing. But what's so interesting to me about this is Ernest was not a specific company's character. It's not like the Geico gecko. It's this was a character that no company owned except for Varney and the ad agency. Companies used that character. And I don't I don't know if we've ever seen that since. I I don't think so. And and it's it's interesting to me because like I in doing research about this, there were people who described Ernest as a know it all. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I as a kid watching this, that and it may be because he's Southern and he's got an accent and all of that. But you uh, never but thought he knew anything. I did never you? thought he knew anything. Yeah. But every t- but watching these with that context, it's like, 
oh yeah he's a know-it-all he is just trying to tell Vern about this new thing that he's come across <laughs> as if he's known about it forever and it's like Vern, how come you don't know this Vern? well yeah and even even uh, in the interviews about the character he would say Ernest is that guy that everybody knows he might be on your street or he might be your relative but he's that one guy you know that always knows what's going on or always has a better idea or, or always thinks he does yes which is and, a, a key difference i think and I, I will say as growing up in the south at least that is a hundred percent true there was always somebody it's it's and a lot of times it was my dad what, um, what, what's what's that, funny what's funny about that is like i look at this and then i look at like a character like Dale Gribble on King of the Hill. And Dale Gribble <laughs> is a uh we, we gotta do some King of the Hill stuff on the show at some point because and Dale Gribble is a conspiracy theorist who always has these things that he's like you know he's reading like zines and stuff that that were all of these things and is willing to tell people about, you know, that's the the way that the the government controls you is these secret helicopters that that are silent and fly in the middle of the night and it's like it's that sort of thing except Ernest is talking about the local action news team and not a government cabal trying to control all of our lives but they're the same kind of character and this right. is these are connections that I'm actively making right now as I'm thinking about it and I I'm losing my mind a little bit about and this it's why he was so popular i mean kids especially reacted to that cartoonish nature about ernest but i mean people would say well they would show up at a dealership like oh well, we want the kind of car that ernest was selling you know we it's it's weird because there would always be a backlash at first about why is this this hillbilly yokel selling your stuff but then people would kind of get it and really like it and at, at Ernest's popularity, I would I would almost say he's the first kind of viral star. I believe because, I believe the documentary about Ernest is literally called Ernest P. Worrell, the first viral star. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's 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 the first one I can think of that. Yeah, it was this kind of viral character. And as a result, nine Ernest movies were made. Technically, I think 10 or 11, but one's a compilation of Ernest Shorts and one is an unrelated film that's kind of like Jim Varney's UHF. And all until I think the sixth movie, they all have theatrical releases. So the sixth or the ninth film were direct to video uh, because of the uh, financial failure of 1993's Ernest Rides Again. Initially, though, while generally not lauded by critics, the Ernest films were well loved by its intended audience and proved to be pretty modest successes. Uh, they typically are made. I'm going to say about this movie in particular, if you look at the uh, I, I rented this on iTunes to watch and uh, it has like a 17 percent Rotten Tomatoes critic score. But it has five stars on iTunes because <laughs> people watching this movie love this movie. Love yeah. I, I, critically, I can absolutely see why critics would not. Oh, I mean, enjoy this, 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 ain't, this ain't going to win the Palme d'Or. <laughs> they were typically made for about three to six million dollars and often grossed around 20 to 25. I think the highest was 28 for Earth Saves Christmas. Now, so this week we're doing Ernest Scared Stupid, and that was released as the Ernest's popularity was starting to wane. I mean, it had been about 11 years, and, you know, 
they had really gone all in on Ernest. Ernest did a bunch of stuff with Disney for a lot of their promotional stuff. So Ernest was starting is, to kind of like cool this is off. this movie was 1991, which we need to remember the Ernest character was started was created and started coming out in 1980. So we're 11 right. years into Ernest at this point. Right. And not everything has an enduring. It'll have waves. So not everything's Pokemon. You know what I mean? I didn't mean to do that. Um, <laughs> but so, Vern, you know, you've got a a. Yeah, you got your pocket monster here. You got, you got, <laughs> Vern, you're over here with your with your water type Pokemon, and you know I'm I'm thinking, what is my grass type going to do? Well, I tell you what, Vern, it's going to take care of your Pokemon. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, this uh, is, we we could have gone off a whole thing. This is now a character that I want to do of Ernest as the Pokemon trainer. Like, I think that is awesome, <laughs> but we got we to stay on task. <laughs> so Ernest Gears was technically a success. It had a higher budget of nine point six million and made about fourteen million domestic, which is a little bit less per, uh, impressive. But also, it didn't have a massive marketing campaign because Ernest kind of marketed himself, so it did make money. It was released on October 11th, 1991, and it's often if you like kind of read these nostalgic Halloween movie pieces about movies for kids. The general consensus is that this is kind of a forgotten cult classic, and it's often compared with Hocus Pocus. And the general kind of train of thought is that the darker tone of the actual movie and the legit scarier material may have been a little bit too intense for its intended audience, uh, literally, literally scaring them away from the picture. I can confirm as I watched this movie with my almost nine-year-old and my six-year-old, and my six-year-old was in certain parts laughing her tushkus or her uh, her took us off, and in other parts legit scared. Yes, and and this is something that I wanna, I, we will talk about because it is this movie is totally all over the place yes but due to its cult following and the fact that not enough people talk about this movie we're trying to fix that this week because i think this is a great great movie to do for trunk or treat because while there are scary elements to this movie it's a good one as more of a how ready is my child without outright traumatizing them because the trolls in this movie the way they're done with their makeup and and the way they're voiced, they're legit seriously menacing. Uh, and, and in ways that you don't really think about. And that's one of the few things that I remembered about this movie, because I know I watched this movie a lot, a lot growing oh, up. I saw this movie in theater. I remember going to a movie theater and seeing the standee for this movie and being excited. <laughs> yeah. I, so so the, of the th- few things that I remembered, I remembered it being actually scary at weird points. I remembered the thing that ended up being the key to victory against the the trolls. I keep wanting to call them goblins because goblin is no log spelled backwards. Um, and uh, I remembered, of course, that Ernest was in it. <laughs> but those are the things that I that I remembered and forgot a large portion of the rest of this. Um, I do also want to mention because we have talked a bit about the creation of this character and the the uh, and Jim Varney as an actor. And we've kind of danced around the fact that this character hasn't existed for 20 years. That, that That's on me. I, I kind of didn't want to have to talk you know, about this, but yes, you don't want to have the downer. I know uh, Jim Varney, the actor uh, who. Most people 
that I would say most people, honestly, it's probably about half and half what people know, know him as half of the people are going to know him as Ernest P. Worrell. And the other half of the people are going to know him as the voice of Slinky Dog in uh, Pixar's Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2. And some might know him as the movie version of Jed Clampett from Beverly Hillbillies. Forgot about that because that is a movie that I forgot about. We're going to have, we'll have a, <laughs> no one seen in about 20 years. It'll pop up. I'm sure. <laughs> Honestly, I have a whole idea for a new theme based on a movie that I watched with my kids for the first time a couple of days ago. Uh, but we'll talk about that offline anyway. Will. Uh, but uh, uh, Jim Varney did pass away from lung cancer in the year 2000. So, yes. Uh, obviously. He was a longtime chain smoker. And, and you can uh, tell that in his voice when you hear him. <laughs> Yes. And by the time he kind of found out it was uh, two way. I mean, he. He attempted to make a change, but by the time that it happened, it, uh, he died on February 10th, 2000 um, at his home in White House, Tennessee. And yeah, I, I, re- I actually remember when this happened, because despite what we were talking about in the intro of being kind of detached from this kind of stuff, when he died. I. I do remember kind of taking a moment for myself. <laughs> yeah, I remember it was, that too. It, it was something that I was like, oh man, did y'all hear that Ernest died? It was just something that I just, I kind of he, read. He, and I was like, oh. he was the first of the like childhood characters that I think we grew mm-hmm. up with that. Absolutely. That passed away in a way that that was so associated with the performer. Like, I know that, like, I think about things like Bozo the Clown. There were like three Bozo the Clowns by the time that any either of us knew who Bozo right. the Clown was, you know. But well, and it's wild because he had to. His final role, I think, is officially Toy Story 2, but he did do Atlantis. Atlantis, which was, was released. Re- it was released after 01. his death. Yes. Because so. Toy Story um, 2 was was 99. So. And and you might hear a very similar performance in Toy Story three. They did replace uh, his his actor in Toy Story three with one of his close friends who can do a a pretty close uh, sound alike uh, to. to yeah. Him. And when, when I asked uh, Drew, who it was I, I, for whatever reason, I was like, was it Chet Hunter from Boy Meets World? And, and it was. It, it, and it was. And I was like, all right, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So, so let's let's talk let's, about Ernest Scared Stupid. Yeah, let's get out of let's get out of 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 Sadland and into yeah. celebrating this <laughs> performer because honestly, this movie lives and dies on the performance of one character. And I'm gonna yes. be I'm gonna be real with you right now, fam, uh, which is certainly a phrase that is going to stand the test of time as I say it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, when Ernest is on on camera in this movie, I am into it and I am watching it and I'm interested. And when Ernest is not on camera in this movie, I do not care very much about oh, what is happening. It's, it's interesting because one thing that movies aimed for a certain demographic at this time did very well and and stopped doing it around the mid 90s was they hired kids of the actual age they were trying to portray which is mwah, chef's kiss love it yes however vetting some of these kids i mean these kids aren't awful but they They're have not. no they they don't really have any charisma they have no presence and i know that sounds unfair to say on a, to a young performer 
Not but, everybody can be a fanning. Let me just say it that way. <laughs> yeah, but but even then, I mean, not everyone is an Elijah Wood who at this time was a child actor. Sure. And I know they were a little less, you know, particular. And these kids are by no means bad. They just They're, don't have that on-screen on-screen presence well, that that really especially when you're when you're compared to someone like Ernest who is this completely animated living breathing cartoon character i'm not saying you have to have someone who can compete with him but you have to be able to hold the room and, and i don't think any of these kids can and, well and again this is also i think part of the problem is that they were writing a kids movie and when you're writing a kids movie the script that you get for the kids movie is not going to be as strong typically as the script that you get for anything else and, and the, the writer about that the writer of this script is, is a guy named john cherry who there are multiple john cherries in the world i believe there is an australian footballer or something or politician <laughs> this is the co-creator of Ernest. yeah john cherry john cherry john r cherry the third who co-created Ernest and wrote a lot of the Ernest movies I, I and I also think back back to the Ernest movie that I think most fondly of, which is Ernest Goes to Camp, which was in 87, 88, something like that. And mm-hmm. I remember that being the first real big Ernest movie. And I think more fondly about that, but it's also been like 30 years since I've seen that. So I can't <laughs> I can't largely remember if if that was actually any better or not. But we're we're talking 1990, 1991 when this was coming out. Yeah, you've got a lot of I hate to say this, but at this point, and I think if you look at the movies that had come before this and the movies that came after this, we are at the point where Ernest as a character and the movies themselves have become a bit of a formula. And I feel like they were starting to get too into the formula and there wasn't as much. I hate to say there wasn't as much heart because it sounds so cheesy and nonsense, but I, I kind of feel that in a way. I mean, we were saying, I mean, with a Halloween horror style movie, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit. Not it's hard to have heart, but with the kind of movies that Ernest did, it's a little bit more tricky to deliver that message. They do it eventually. It's a little clumsy in the way it's delivered. But I mean, I think this is an overall I don't even know if it's a problem, because as an adult, I appreciate this movie a lot for a lot of things it does. But thinking about who the movie's intended for parts of this movie, it was written as a kid's movie with the horror slash monster scenes written very seriously. This would not have been like if you had put the trolls and certain things in a kind of meant for teen movie in the in the late 80s it would have not stu- have stood out of place. And so if you if you take Ernest out, you have what would have been a PG-13 or had it been re- rewritten an almost R-rated script if you had replaced the kids with, you know, high schoolers. Yeah. Well, and we, the, the problem is the makeup and special effects team treat the movie as if it's one of those. And then you have the Ernest and the kids part that, play like Ernest and kids movies and then they try to marry the two and sometimes that juxtaposition is it's wild (laughs) so we should we should talk a little bit about the plot for anybody who didn't get a chance to see this because oh yeah let's let's dig in this one was a little bit more difficult to come across uh so 
Ernest Scared Stupid, of course, stars Ernest P. Worrell, uh, who is at the time that we see this a a sanitation engineer uh, he, uh, in the town. I love of, the opening of the movie where he's I don't know if it was ever the job of a sanitation uh, worker to clean people's garbage cans other than just <laughs> empty them. But he's got this whole rig set up. I'm not sure like, what the point of any of that was. I thought that maybe he was because there were also mops that were going on the side of the the truck that like was he supposed to be like a street cleaner too? I don't know. Hey, doesn't don't matter. No. <laughs> At the end of the day, doesn't matter. Uh, so but he's he, also in charge of like cleaning up other people's yards, apparently. Yes. Uh, well, well, that, the one for character in particular because she's got a bunch of of crap in her yard. So it's. It's in Briarville, Missouri. <laughs> in, in, the, in the description. Uh, uh, so. But we are actually opening to a, a, a flashback to to another character also played by Jim Varney, who is Phineas Phineas Worrell, <laughs> uh, who is basically uh, like a, like like a puritanical kind of preacher type character. Yeah. Com- uh, uh, basically sending this troll to a to a li- live burial in order to stop to it from perpetual darkness. Yeah. <laughs> And the roots of this tree will be its prison, and da 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 da. And just and, and it's well because plays that character straight. Yeah, of course yeah. he does. It, it's so good. And I mean, I, I actually was thinking about this myself. But your 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 kids were a hundred percent on the money. Whereas this is the opening to Hocus Pocus three years <laughs> earlier. You know, the For weird sure. thing about this movie, though, and and the weirdest thing about I think all of the Ernest movies in a sense. And you have to kind of allow yourself the suspension of belief that Ernest is perfectly harmless. We know that. But it is a little odd that these children are habitually hanging out with a 40-year-old man. That is the... <sighs> That's because one of those things I, I get, where... I get, I get there is nothing funny going on. And this movie never gives you any weird implications because Ernest is basically a child himself. They literally comment on how Ernest has the heart of a child in this movie, which is how. Yeah, that's that's honestly the crux of the ending. And that's fine. I, I am not trying to add any kind of slick, modern viewing of it. But as just a casual observer, it is a little odd that these children are hanging out with a 40 year old man on the reg. Yeah, it's a little strange. And that's all I wanted to say. I, I, I was I wasn't trying to like be like, OK, this is it's just you have to have a way for Ernest to interact with the kids. And I, this is the only way to do it. But so so basically the troll comes back to life because of honestly, maybe one of the funniest things in the movie. Uh, there is a prophecy about, you know, the only way that this troll is going to emerge from from underneath this tree is if. A, a person of world blood the night before Halloween says this exact phrase while he's banging on the tree. And, and, and at the same time, Ernest is doing all this stuff. It's like, what are the odds of that happening? Well, and the it's a good job of recalling Phineas's words so that you connect. They're building a tree house and this tree is supposed to be sacred. So when they're hammering the nails to build the tree house into the tree, 
you connect that with, okay, them doing all this stuff is disturbing the tree. And because otherwise, without that recollection of, of that, even though it was like six minutes ago, I don't think most kids at the time would have made that connection of like, oh, this is why the troll is coming back. And I, th I think we do need to dial it back just a second, because before we get to this tree treehouse scene, we get introduced to Eartha Kit as uh, <laughs> Old Lady Hackmore, who is Deller in this movie. She's really good tell, in this movie. You can tell OG Catwoman is having a blast and honestly chewing up as much scenery as as Varney is anytime she's in it. She is she is electric and there are times where she's just as on it as as varney and i i had a great time because i honestly outside of her being catwoman i i'm not as familiar with a lot of eartha kitt's work so i, mean, I know her historically but so i know eartha i know eartha kitt's work from three things she was catwoman three on the batman the 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 60s batman tv show she was uh santa baby uh th that mm -hmm. like yeah, yeah that song is often attributed to marilyn monroe for some reason but no it was an Eartha really? kit song yeah i just I, I if there was any song i would just i would imagine happy birthday mr president that's that's again all I, I, it's one of those like napster associations oh, yeah, yeah yeah i get that weird al had the worst time of that yeah. because every parody was associated to him but but anyway, uh, so, and, and of course, the third thing that anybody knows Eartha Kid from today, I mean, she had a long career and I don't want to. Yes, I'm, I'm. Is as Yzma in Disney's uh, Emperor's New Groove. Wait, was she Yzma? Yes, she was Yzma. You're going to double check uh, me on this, but I thought that was the actress that played Victoria Chase in Hot in Cleveland. Check me, fam. Um, I am as going we to. as we sit here waiting for Miles to confirm that I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, it was it was Eartha Kitt. Yes, it was. Thank you. <laughs> the, the actress I was thinking of played uh, John Goodman's wife. Um, so, so anyway, I I do like how this sets up. Also, I also want to talk about this this treehouse because it's a total kid fantasy and completely nonsensical. As well as a waste of pizza, because for some reason they're they're defending this against bullies. They 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 built this house because they had built a haunted house that a bunch of local bullies torn apart. So they wanted the high ground before Anakin ever did, and <laughs> they and I I can't think about like Jim Varney talking about how how important the high ground is without thinking of <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. But so his whole thing is to build a treehouse and they build this treehouse that would have been the imagination of any kid. It's got these it's got dumb things that just only a kid would think of. And I really appreciate the the kidness of this treehouse, including a launcher that just shoots pizzas at its adversary. It's a complete what, waste of pizza. The, I don't know where they got this pizza from. So, so but. The, I think the idea is that those pizzas were like rancid because they also are flinging cat food at them and right <laughs> yes they are yeah. um and the scene that 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 drew was talking about with him putting his hand on the tree and reciting the the chant i love this play on horror tropes this is the song that's used in things like evil dead and films of that ilk 
But Ernest is doing it with no self-awareness. And by doing so, I think he communicates to young audiences who may not know the tropes. They're aware that Ernest is doing something he shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And Ugh. I I love that. And I also love his first reaction to seeing the troll. Because <laughs> he's just like, boy, I sure hope you're from Keebler. That was great. And, then, and, and those lightning flash quips he delivers, even when being scared by the troll, like he's just delivering things and he's like, he's saying one thing after another, and then he's like, I saw Hulkamania three times, once in slow-mo. Like just <laughs> things that you know, he just came off the top of his head and it's it's so funny. And in those and, and then in those moments, the movie works really well. It's it's when the movie tries to focus on anything other than Jim Varney just being himself and getting into to character and, and goofing around that that's where the movie suffers a little bit. Like I, I, I kind of want to speed through the plot because I feel like this movie is funny and it's in, and it's it's fun, but it's not as good as it could be. I, I took so many notes on this movie. <laughs> I, I'm sure you I did. Took, I took so many notes. I quoted so many things, um, but I, I, I do want to talk a little bit. Because, I mean, this, this plot's nothing. We can speed through that plot. I'm, I'm okay with that. We can just talk about the movie. Um, I want to talk about, and, and Drew, you mentioned that your, your, your daughter, the Twilight Princess, did get scared by the trolls. And that, that is one weird thing about this movie, because the trolls are gnarly looking. Well, and this one, is something that has been brought up. They're gnarly looking. Number. And also, it's not just that they're gnarly looking. It's that every interaction that the kids have with these trolls is scary it's them pretending to be somebody else it's them one one like the very first time we see the troll legit like legit even as someone who is super into horror that scene is legit unsettling even as a kid's horror thing Uh, if if you're talking about the scene where he mimics elizabeth's voice and is chasing one of the kids yeah through the woods but even even the first time that we see after after trantor the the troll in question has has ran away from Ernest because of the deus ex machina that we will get into. Um, the he, he encounters one of their friends uh, who is trying to get home and slips and falls into this creek. And I think he actually actually he he pretends to be Ernest's voice at that point. Yeah, he pretends to be because like, oh, thanks, Ernest. And then he looks and he up looks and sees up and the troll. Like, ah, it's a troll. And it's like, that's the first encounter that we have with, with a kid and a troll. And then there's another, the, the, this thing is like jump scare. Like it's, it's P, PG rated jump scares. And Abs- absolutely. And that's something that, that you don't often expect with a quote, kids scary movie, like a kid's Halloween movie is to, for, for there to be legit jump scares and things. And like, I'm a 36 year old man. It didn't scare me anymore oh, no but i also I, I, I remember that. that i remember those things being surprising and scary to me in hindsight as i thought about watching it when i was a kid well i don't think it's just the jump scares there, there's nothing playful or even kind of endearing about the trolls or what they want to do even their voices are serious and dark and then any kid that's captured by the troll is turned into a wooden doll that looks exactly like them. <laughs> that, that looks I mean, like their their moment of agony as they're being turned into a wooden doll. And even when they're uh, developing the pods, when they're, he's trying to bring it back, his like his troll children, they're they're generally they're viscous and gooey and 
they look like something that you would see in in Alien. And and that's the weird thing about this movie is the special effects, everything that went into the horror aspect of this movie is treating it like a serious horror film. And it's very, very odd because everything else is written like a kid's Ernest movie. Even you, <laughs> when, when Ernest first comes back to town and is trying to solve the troll problem, they they introduced a a uh, very common co-star to Ernest things, Tom and Bobby Tulip. Yes, these I had a feeling were characters that also existed in other Ernest they, they're projects. They're in everything, and and Tom's thing. Bobby almost never talks, and Tom's thing is that he always talks and is always trying to sell Ernest stuff that has to do with his problem. So he's selling him like you know your troll bait, your troll spray. Now, all of this nonsense now, stuff. Does this also come with the with the album of troll love songs? <laughs> that line kills me. I don't know why. It's 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 not just that that line that, that line is is perfect because not only is it just so off the cuff, but then then it's just met with the album itself alongside one of the Tulip Brothers classic bad puns about yes. you know like. <laughs> Oh, uh, is it uh, do, do rattlesnakes kiss safely or something like that? <laughs> do, rattle, do rattlesnakes kiss carefully? Yes, I think yes. that's it. <laughs> um, but, and and it, it, it's done with this dichotomy of you get these standard earnest things. Like Ernest sets up this like <laughs> this troll hotel, which is basically a garbage uh, dumpster that he spray painted on. And it does this classic earnest gag where the metal door slams on his hand. And he, and looks, then he looks, looks, looks at the camera, looks at his hand, looks to his camera, looks to the hand, does that three times, and then goes, <laughs> ah! and it works. <laughs> Look, 19, or 29 years later, I'm still laughing my butt off at that scene. But you compare that with, I think, the probably the better jump scare of the movie is the one where the uh, the girl character Elizabeth is in her bedroom, and this is probably the one to... that 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 the Twilight Princess freaked out about the most. Well, because they play it like, I mean, they play it like a genuine horror movie scene. The girl is, you know, she knows that trolls are around, and she's scared to get, I think, look under her bed. Well, no, not and... only not only is she scared to look under her bed, the movie from half of that scene that they're in is shot from under her bed. Yes. And so, so it, she you hear her talking to her mom, but the the focus is on a teddy bear under her bed. And then it flashes up to her talking to her mom and then it's the teddy bear under the bed and it flashes back and forth and back and forth. And then she's clearly scared. And so she decides to look under the bed just to check and make sure cuz she's kind of been like a brave character at this point and 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 looking for adventure and excitement the troll story yeah and she looks under the bed and she just finds this teddy bear it's like oh <laughs> okay and she gets back up on top of the bed and she turns around and boom there's trantor right there and turns her into a wood it's statue a it's very like, very well shot well done scene for a horror movie not aimed at nine and ten year olds yeah <laughs> And, and and so we'll fast forward through the rest of this because there's just a lot more of this as we get into it. And there's a whole like bully plot where the bullies end up teaming yeah, up with I've, them. I've and it's that entirely. That, it, it is typical interesting to me. kid movie stuff, but 
it, it is interesting to me to, uh, that there's a weird dichotomy. And I think it, it, it contributes to what makes this movie a little bit of a classic because all the troll stuff with Ernest is genuinely not scary. Even when the troll is kind of stalking him, you know, it's about to run up and get him and then gets smacked in the face with the truck car door. You know, or, it, you know, it's stalking him in the convenience store. And you have this whole gag where Jim Varney thinks that the, the, the convenience store clerk is playing charades when it's responding <laughs> to the troll right behind him. And then takes out a shotgun and says, like, gee, Jim, when you play for charades, you play for keeps. It's, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. But again, it's all it's it's also and, and there's the whole thing where he he's fighting the troll in the back of the car or the back, excuse me, the back of the truck while the dog is driving the truck. It's it's so silly oh, and funny. I'm just, I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to comment anymore. The dog's name is Rimshot. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But um, so, but, um, but, but, but also again, that, that I think this has one of the best lines is uh, where the troll this might be a little bit later but the troll yells you will pay for your forefathers and he goes I didn't have forefathers I just had the one father and I didn't do that well it's funny it's funny it's a good no, joke no, it's a good joke it's a good joke <laughs> but but so uh, of course th- and honestly one of the most interesting things about this and and one of the ones that is also I don't know how odd it is in a 2020 context as we talk about this. So the troll's weakness is milk. Mm-hmm. And and so they're they get super soakers full of milk and the kids are shooting the milk it's, at the super it's soakers. Such a an idea of the time. Yes. Sure. But it's not just that milk is the thing that kills the trolls. It's that the idea that milk represents a mother's love and care for a child. Right. That that is what the milk represents. And yeah, that is why it, they say mother's milk. And they say that before they even say the troll's weakness is. And in the book, in the troll book, it's M I and then one letter is missing. And then the K and for ah, you, I got some Miak. You didn't think I could get it this time of year, but I did. <laughs> so great. It's so dumb. It's so stupid, but I also loved oh. it. But again, it, it made me wonder if Miak was a thing. <laughs> Jim Varney's performance is what delivers this. I, I don't think there are very few comedians or performers that could have done something like this and it be effective. For me, the fact that it's an earnest movie is what makes this movie work. And I think you said earlier where this movie lives and dies by Jim Varney. And that's absolutely true. But it's something that I've mentioned before on this show and to my friends is I always want to see what a character like this would do in a horror movie setting. And like, like I want to see, I want to see Ernest in Silent Hill. (laughs) Like I just, I love that kind of character and I love putting him in these situations. And they do a good I, as much as I want to harp on them for being what they are, because if if you were to tell me, oh, yeah, one of the scarier trunk or treat movies you could probably do without going to PD-13 territory is Ernest Scared Stupid, because a lot of people bring up the fact that this movie did legitimately scare kids and it kept other parents from telling their friends to take their kids to see this movie because their kid got scared. And. 
and it's a weird it's a weird place and i i think i when developing a movie especially at this time as we've said with erie indiana the tween age was not a thing that was thought of i can see how this would have been hard to figure out the balance for yeah but at the same time, with with the kind of humor that that Ernest delivers, because even in the climax of this movie, you are getting Ernest gags. Yeah, uh, and so into so the end of the movie, uh, Trantor calls upon a bunch of demons to power himself up so that Milk no longer works to defeat him, but. Then, of course, uh, Eartha Kitt as... Uh, can we talk about how lazy this demonic prayer is? It's, demons make me stronger, do your worst, make me invincible. That's yep. it. That's yeah. the, that, that, that is the demonic prayer. You know what? It's fine. While all of his children are getting decimated by milk outside, uh, he can do that. Uh, but... but- <laughs> But old lady Hackmore has figured out that it's not just milk. Milk is is one thing, but it's what the milk represents. Unconditional love, unconditional love, the heart of a child. And so, of course, Trantor gets sprayed in the face multiple times with milk and doesn't, you know, doesn't phase him. And then he finally turns the last of the main kids into a wood statue with when Kenny gets uh, when when Kenny gets. taken care of blah 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 uh but then Ernest finally for some reason figures it out we don't know how it just doesn't matter doesn't matter <laughs> i guess he looks at a carton of milk and he's like unconditional love i needed to go back and see if unconditional love was written on the side of the carton or something that would have would have uh figured that but uh that was purity milk by the way which uh purity milk and purity milk products is a a company that uh Ernest P World advertised, <laughs> advertised for uh Similarly, uh, one of Ernest's national campaigns was Czech cereal. And uh, wouldn't you know it, there's a huge Czech cereal aisle that the uh, cashier gets knocked into when kids are are, uh, doing stuff. But uh, so he just then hugs Trantor and gives him a big kiss on his booger lips. And that's all that it takes. He 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 repeats a lot. Yeah. And that's all it takes to take care of Trantor and the day is saved. And a bunch of little kids from the late 19th century of this movie. And that kiss scene with, with him looking at the camera going, ew, is I remember that being in the trailer. I mean, obviously (laughs) I didn't know that that was going to be the finale, but I love the whole, like kind of the kids are fighting back because all of these kids, the, the main little kid, I don't even remember his name. Jimmy? Uh, Kenny. Johnny? Kenny? Kenny. Whatever. There's Kenny, Elizabeth, uh, and Joey. Joey is the first kid to turn yeah. to uh, turn to, uh, to the, wood. The whitest uh, kid names you could think of in 1991. Uh, and, and, and I will also say what's funny is that uh, they're also, apparently they're twins, or at least they're brothers, uh, the Murdoch boys, um, Mike and his brother Daredevil, Matt. Uh <laughs> shut up um, <laughs> matt murdoch so yeah a lot of these kids they're the ones that figure out the milk is the is the is the answer and they they're kind of stating this kind of comeback fight that you see a lot and and during that scene or that whole sequence my girlfriend has a specific physical gag that she loves in physical comedy and and i don't know why but okay, it's always i, I kind of i want to see if i can guess what it is Hang okay on. yeah guess it <laughs> Because I've I've mentioned it on this show before. It's not powder to the face, is it? 
No, it's not. It's, okay. it's you're close. But I'm thinking of a number between one and ten. Was it two? Two. Boom. Poked in the and eyes. It's a little eye poke. And for whatever reason, she thinks that's the funniest thing you can do. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it's a sitcom or if it's a professional wrestling. If someone gets poked in the eyes, she is cracking up. It also happened in uh, Adam Sandler's recent Halloween movie, which I almost made us do. Uh, Hubie Halloween. And she was cracking up. And it's a uh, watch your papers there, Miles. Watch scene. your papers. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I also... I, th- I do think they were pretty creative with these other trolls, even though they were still, again, gnarly looking. They there there are me of the suddenly a ton of trolls that all have a unique design. Yeah, that that, that are really they intricate. All, they, they honestly look like someone repainted the the um, designs for the killer clowns from outer space. That's what they look like to me. I didn't see anything about the production of this that would indicate I, that. I, I don't think they are. They just remind me of that. But there is one troll because uh, the the main kid, Kenny, is the son of, of the sheriff. And one of the trolls eats bullets and then gets his troll buddy to beat him in the back with a club and the bullets shoot out of his mouth. And I think it's a it's dumb, but it's a it's funny. visually clever concept. It's funny. It's definitely funny. And, and the best thing, I mean, yes, is <laughs> I never knew when to quit. Just ask my fourth grade teacher. And he reaches up to scratch on the chalkboard and just gets slapped <laughs> in the back of the head where his head knocks on the chalkboard. It's hilarious. It's, it's funny both times they it do it. It twice in the movie. And the one thing I love about it is that there are so many lines of the chalkboard written. And in the second time it happens, there are more lines of the chalkboard written. And it's just, it's, it it's, cracks it's so my good. kids I, up. It I was think that so was funny. also in the trailer. Like this trailer was designed from what I remember to get kids in there because some of the best parts were in this movie. I think that ended the trailer was like, he never knew when to quit. Thump. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> So, so, okay, I do want to ask, Drew, did your kids like it? My son definitely seemed to like it and repeated things about it to me later on in, in, <laughs> in the day watching it. My daughter seemed to like it at the time, but she was also one that would leave the room and come back and leave the room and come back and leave the room and come back as she got scared and went to go sit with with mom and then come back and then right you know other other things the funny parts made her laugh hysterically but the scary parts made her very scared well it sounds like uh Ernest saves christmas might be a winner this holiday season we'll see we'll see if i decide to uh to to get into that not man uh so <laughs> miles I, I final, final thoughts on, well, on Ernest scared. okay okay and and this is just a I know this is not a logic film, but this film the beginning of this movie is supposed to take over several generations ago. I think seven is what they say at one point, the seventh whirl. Eartha Kit is playing a woman whose siblings were the original victims of the troll. How old is she supposed to be? I mean, this is in 1991. 
So if you assume that the the that the time that they they claim this happened is in the late 19th century, which would be the late 1800s. Oh, I is there an actual date? I, I missed that then. This I is, thought it the, was just the, um, this is Wikipedia's claim based on that. So I don't know the answer. It's OK. Seemed, OK, then it then, seemed then, then like never it mind. was 1762 or something like that's, that. Yeah, that's, but, that's what I thought, too. But I, apparently that's not the case. Because seven generations don't pass in one one century, um, but okay, if if that if, if that's the case, then then uh, that's fine. Um, so, Drew, I, I, you wanted to move forward. Uh, final thoughts on Ernest Scared Stupid? How did you think of it as a trunk or treat film? How did you like revisiting Ernest? Me, I love I it. loved revisiting Ernest. I'm I'm re-energized in the Ernest P. Worrell uh, Esquire. It, it, honestly, it stuff. made me so happy to, I, to watch this movie again. I was I was trying to write an intro and my intro failed because I was just too distracted by <laughs> by watching these commercials and just how effortless he made this character be. And it's just so, so good and so funny. And I love it. And that's that's a great way to put it because he does make the character feel effortless. Whereas, I mean, you even if you try that, to do something similar to Ernest, it takes an, a massive amount of effort. Not, so and, for not him just, to, and not just the character, but all the characters, because Ernest is apparently ha- has a multiple personality thing that happens. Yeah, in which is scenes. something that one of the kids comment on. So in in world, okay, he's got multiple personality disorder or or some something akin to it. And I love his multiple personalities. Those are always some of the most fun parts of Ernest is bringing in these other people. And even when he's still, still telling us that, that random story about the bot swanins. Like that. Because that, I'm an empire. That, that had some uncomfortable things in it. And in 2020 it capacity. It, it absolutely did. I, I I agree, but it also had some weird innocent stuff, and and that's I, it's not that I give it a pass, but I can tell it comes from a place of complete innocence. And yeah, er, revisiting this movie, I, I do think I get why it was not a massive success because for kids, it's totally all over the place and can be scary for a younger audience. Whereas Ernest was commonly loved by kids and the, yes. the the prior movies were Ernest goes to camp Ernest goes to jail Ernest saves Christmas so you're not really thinking about demonic trolls and I think that if the trolls were not as I don't want to say as seriously portrayed they were creepy if, they were legit yeah, scary they were treated like actual horror monsters and, and, and the monster designs themselves were scary it was it was a scary yeah. thing they weren't poorly done they were really well done monster effects which it's, is the thing you, you have to understand ex- yeah you don't have to you don't often expect that in a movie like this and i think that that's where they 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 kind of failed to find the balance because like you said in any scene that Ernest is in it works but let me ask you this especially since you're a parent now seeing children in actual danger makes the scene more effective but also makes it more worrisome because these trolls are depicted as an actual danger so you pick up on that as a kid and as a parent, and it makes the movie scarier. 
Or yeah. am I reading that incorrectly? No, that's absolutely true. I mean, my son thought it was hilarious, and my daughter, who just turned six, uh, complained that she was worried about the troll before bedtime. Now, granted, she's also very manipulative and uh, may have just been <laughs> using that to try not to go to bed when we, it was bedtime. Uh, I love her to death, and this, these are all facets of her personality that are going to do very well for her as she grows up because she is very strong-willed but that was her take oh man uh, at bedtime. that's great so um, you know <laughs> Drew, Drew and I, both, uh, I think we could say we loved coming back to Ernest. might even do it again in the future um yeah this i mean outside of the the actual objective problems with the movie i love this movie i think it's a lot of fun i love seeing Ernest in a horror setting I think all of his comedy still works so well. And yeah, I kind of want to go back and like kind of revisit things that I, I neglected to appreciate when I was a young adult. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, um, it, it was, it was so refreshing to come back to this character that I know so well. And kind of it kind of feels like coming home (laughs) yeah i set aside this character for a certain period of time and then i this character comes back and all of a sudden i'm watching a commercial that aired in north carolina when i was growing up that i'm like i definitely saw this commercial when i was a kid and here we are it's things that like that that kind of bring a tear to your eye and you get super nostalgic it's um, it's a weird wistful nostalgia, but <laughs> but it is. Speaking of weird wistful nostalgia, Miles, let's talk about what we're doing next week and for the next month on the show. So, weird and wistful are definitely the the right words to use. As of this week, last week, it was announced that the streaming service Quibi would be shutting down. And at this at the time of the release of this episode, it's only existed for about 6 months. And and, it, and and by the time we're done, it will only have existed for about 7 months because they're shutting it down at the first part of December. Yes. So Drew and I went back and forth on this a little bit, and we both kind of had the same mindset. We we don't want this to seem mean-spirited, but what we are going to do is watch some of the original programming that uh, Queeby was airing to, and as well as, as at least in the first episode, a little history of the service as to what went wrong. Yeah, and we, but basically, basically, we this is one of the there there have been streaming services that have come and gone and come and gone. But Quibi CISO. is CISO is definitely one of them. But CISO was more of a traditional streaming service. Quibi is a service that had a very particular ideology in the way it was trying to fill that. Yeah. I don't know if the audience was there for, but, but you also but, have to take in consideration 2020 <laughs> yeah so so right now with quibi going away we're we're deciding we're gonna try to pour one out and we're gonna see yeah. we're gonna see if quibi had something, something cool because i personally ignored quibi because it didn't seem like something that i would be into ever but now I, that it's I'm, a- I'm not gonna lie quibi had two things which i have pushed for us to cover so we're going to uh, that I was interested in, uh, both 
at least for next week, especially uh, horror adjacent or related. Uh, for, so for next week, we're going to watch the first season of uh, 50 States of Fright, which was Sam Raimi's produced uh, horror anthology show. So it's going to be kind of leading from the Halloween season, although not trunk or treat. And we're going to go from there. Both Drew and I selected two kind of programs that were original to Quibi that we wanted to, to do. And yeah, I, I we're we my main concern is I don't want this to feel like we're picking on a, a service that failed. Uh, both Drew and I. And, and if you're a listener of the morning, you know that we are objective and that we want yes. to look at things positively. So we we generally want to see what content this offered because, yeah, it it came at the wrong time, unfortunately, and it did offer a lot of original programming. So Drew and I were genuinely it, it, curious. It, not only did it offer a lot of original programming, it offered a lot of original programming by performers and creators that you know who they are yeah, and you know that they have done fantastic work outside of Quibi. But at the same time, it's like, why are you making stuff on Quibi? So this is, this is the thing that that we're, we're really trying to find out like, okay, is there, I'm sure the good stuff of Quibi that is on Quibi is going to end up somewhere else. But the whole way that Quibi operated and the idea of that was supposed to be stuff you watched on your phone and not stuff that you watched on your 85 inch cinema display in your in your home theater, which everybody has. And certainly Miles and I both have, which is how we do all this stuff. Um, it's late. I don't know where this joke is going, but uh, basically it was meant to be watched on this tiny little screen and not on a big screen. And does that make a difference even in that? And that's what we're going to find out. So so next week is 50 st- States of Fright, the Sam Raimi produced Quibi season that apparently they did two seasons of, which is crazy for a series for a but but that that second season like aired like this month so that that makes sense so please join us next next week and for the rest of november for our quibi quandary and we will see you well i guess drew tell us how to how they can get in touch with us. <laughs> yeah, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us at themorienerd.com where you can find our entire backlog of episodes going all the way back almost 10 years. You can tweet to us at themorienerd. You can face to a, facebook.com slash themorienerd to us. And of course, you can say FaceTime. I'm like, please don't. <laughs> yeah, don't FaceTime me. Don't FaceTime me in the middle of the night. I know you, Greg. Um, My I'm mother. Called- I'm calling the only a, person that FaceTimes me. I'm calling out a random Greg. Um, anyway, uh, I, I feel like I'm I'm about to do an earnest thing where I just go off on this weird <laughs> tangent about Greg. It's like, this is not how we're going to do this show, Drew. This is not how we're doing this. Anyway, uh, you can email us themoreyounerd at gmail.com. That's themoreyounerd at gmail.com. And now, of course, we come, Miles. As we often do, you know, and we do a show that lasts an hour, hour and a half, 45 minutes, depends on the the the, the motion of the waves, the sun of the sky. And, and we end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd, nerd. out. Know what I mean? mean?